0: real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Welcome to the story studio. Oh yeah, here we
2: go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. My name's Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by me. Uh, I'm Luke Condo over Kate, and our special guest today is. Would you like to introduce
3: yourself? Yeah, Ian Robb, Wright.
2: Hi, Ian. Um, so, Ian is a UK writer of all things horror. He's the best-selling author of the Hell on Earth series, the Damien Verse series, as well as a host of standalone novels. His work is currently being adapted for graphic novels, audiobooks and foreign audiences. And he's an active member of the Writers Horror Writers Association, a massive animal lover and also a right swell dude. Welcome to the show, Ian.
3: <laughs> thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So how are we all doing? How's
2: our, how's our week going? Are we being nice and creative?
3: Well, me and Ian are both ill.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it's been pretty good. Um, I think uh, I'm still recovering from the, the Manchester run a bit i uh, just done the whole 10K thing, which I'm quite proud of. That took a bit... I was
2: going to say, Manchester Run sounded
1: a little bit like an illness then. <laughs> I've got the Manchester <laughs> Runs right now, yeah. That's <laughs> what so you get. That's, that's what... You get a medal and you get like a, uh, some special paper, toilet paper. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it's been good. I'm uh, just getting back into writing. I've just wrote written like the most ludicrous short story I've ever mm-hmm. written called The Penis, which I won't really go into.
2: I wasn't sure if you were being serious when you put that in Slack.
1: No, yeah, you know, it is its it's... <laughs> I really wanted to write like a curse story, like a, you know, like a drag me tell style story. And um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get it out yeah, of my head of, <laughs> I couldn't get it out of my head of someone being cursed with, so I, whenever he's in the vicinity of, of someone, um, they have the urge to rip his penis off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, um, and he's like these massive, he's this massive sort of sexaholic sort of guy as well. So it's sort of a, a play on that, but it's been quite fun to write. What about, what about you, Ian? What have you been working on?
3: um i'm just finishing editing the third book in the hell on earth series so just getting that ready for publication next month um and then i need to take a bit of time off to resume my online um self-publishing course oh
1: cool yeah, yeah.
2: yeah
3: yes But I've, I've got a lot of different things on the go at the moment and i don't know i need to power it back down a bit so i can spend more time writing but it seems lately i'm doing anything but writing yeah yeah you have times like that don't you, you just seem to fall out
2: of it a little bit and just find yourself overwhelmed with other things?
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely harder to make money in publishing now, um, self-publishing. And so I'm just trying to stabilise my platform a little more by having some side businesses so that I'm not so reliant on selling ebooks on Amazon. Um, because if I'd sort of kept the trajectory that I was on at the beginning of my career, I'd be a millionaire by now. But it seems... You know, each year each book makes a little bit less, and you're having to fight uphill to stay where you are. And I've just found that <clears throat> the extra income I've needed has sort of come from other avenues to keep growing as a as a businessman, really.
1: Yeah. Mm. Have you looked into like um, I'm sure you have for like you know, optioning stuff for films or or anything like that? You know, to to split the the uh, profit pie, as it were, of, of the books.
3: Um, I, I get approached now and then about sort of film adaptations, but they're always very small scale. And yeah. um, I tend to sign contracts with the smaller film people with caveats in that if a studio came along, I would buy the rights back at a, you know, a, a lowish amount that would allow me to still explore my options. But yeah. I don't have an agent, so, you know, it's kind of... Unless someone contacts me about it, it's not really something... I've got my foot in the door
1: anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. What about you, Dan? What have you been working on? What have you been doing? Um, I've
2: had quite an exciting week. So I have finished the second draft of They Remain, which is book two in the Rot series. Um, and that's ready to for, for your digestion whenever you're ready for it. Um, we put together a publishing schedule for the rest of the year where that should be coming out soon. I won't put a date on it just in case we do decide to change it. Um, and then I've also been doing the final one of the final read throughs on Lazarus which was the second of the two books that we both decided to collaborate on when we first started our our crazy project um and I'm happy with it it's looking it's looking it's looking good it's feeling good um probably gonna get out to some ARC readers soon get some feedback and then look at popping out there so yeah exciting yeah. so what's
3: your process for collaborations I mean I did it once. to J.A. Conrath but mm. um, when I tried it again with Matt Shaw I just found it sort of too difficult to to get going so I've only really got the one collaboration and I'm, I'm not generally a fan of it but it seems to be something you enjoy. Mm. It's, it's, t- it's a
2: bit different to how we originally um, plotted out just because we basically each picked an idea that we liked to roll with then we swapped over and the other person planned that book then we swapped over and the other person wrote and then we wrote the First draft based off of the plan, and then we basically just keep swapping backwards and forward on each draft. But what's kind of happened is one of the books needed a lot more work, and the other one needed less work. So what, instead of sort of, instead of <laughs> instead of going um, backwards and forwards in parallels and publishing at the same time, one's kind of continued going. So we've had to stagger the process a bit. But um, I mean, it was a learning curve for us. We've never collaborated before, but yeah. we well, we both seem to enjoy working together so it just seems to to fit for us but i know that it wouldn't for everybody
3: yeah. I think, do you do all email or? Uh, a lot of email or uh calls. skype
1: and slack and and <clears> also <throat> the story shop app we've been using that recently you know the <clears throat> uh, self-publishing podcast guys have, have put out um that's yeah, been quite good yeah cool. um, yeah it's good to
3: just illustrate for sure
1: yeah,
2: it's good just illustrating actually what you mean via pictures. It's just a nice way to put it all together on on StoryShot.
1: Yeah. Okay, so um, we got we got some questions for you, but before that, we need to ask like a big whoop, like a uh, anything you've seen, if you've watched or uh, seen, if you'd liked or read or anything like that. Um, have you seen anything cool recently?
3: Um. Yeah, well, I can give you something for every media, really, because yeah. I can shoot so much. Um. This week, the main find for me is—it's been—I've um, found on YouTube H three H three. I don't know if you're aware of it, but I've just been watching that constantly. Um, it's a, uh, a Jewish couple in America. They're just basically react to YouTube um, videos that are basically people scamming like um fake pranks taking advantage of people and he just debunks stuff and has yeah. a bit of fun and i've just been watching that all week and it's I, I've, I've just been loving it it's really really funny and it's also it really debunks some really sort of important things that people should be aware of that are going online that mm-hmm. uh, going on at youtube so that's h3h3 productions on youtube and that's a channel and uh you should check it out it's just it's really irreverent but it's really funny yeah yeah um, how long are the episodes I, sorry carry on how long are the episodes um they range some are sort of up to 25 30 minutes some are very short sort of five six minutes but they're just all really really humorous and um like he attacks a lot of the the pranksters and exposes them as fake and trying to portray like there's a prankster that his pranks always make black people look really aggressive and then he he manages to find proof that it's all set up with paid actors and stuff, and it's it's just really funny as well. At the same time, and he does it with his wife, which I like because I sort of I work closely with my wife on a lot of things as well. So I kind of I I, I like that dynamic. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the main point I've had this week. Uh, Book wise, I'm reading. I've just started reading the um, Wheel of Time. Is oh, it? okay,
1: yeah, Robert Jordan's yeah. books, yeah.
3: Um, which. I, I found it a bit difficult to get into, but it's just started to pick up a bit of bit of speed now. Um I'm quite into fantasy. Despite I write horror, I tend to read more fantasy at the moment or historical fiction. Um so I really like swords and sorcery and the Game of Thrones books and stuff like that. Um so so yeah, most I mean, I'd like to write in fantasy one day, but the books are so long and they take such an investment of time that I wouldn't be able to churn them out at my normal pace and financially that might hurt me a bit so I'm kind of waiting to a point where I'm pretty firmly established financially that I can take the luxury to kind of tackle my own sort of Game of Thrones type series. There seems to be a bit of a trend with that with them I
2: think just authors in general I think people are intrigued by the idea of fantasy because when I first approach writing and went to write my first book I wanted to write a fantasy and then I just realized that they are quite heavy going to begin with and moved sideways but most people I've spoken to have expressed their interest in wanting to write a fantasy series
3: really I'm knowing mm. that um yeah I definitely think there's an investment that you need to put into sort of building a world that you, and all this stuff that you probably won't even use but you need to have it fleshed out for you to create these convincing worlds and I think if I did do it I'd like to put a horror slant on it so I'd make my you know my world's quite horror themed and I don't mm. know make some sort of plague ravishing the world but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One day I'd like to do that um, Film-wise, I watched. Um, is it called Get Out today? Oh yeah, I oh, love Get yeah. It, Out. it. it yeah. didn't go where I thought it was going to go from yeah. tracks and stuff. So um, yeah, I like that. It's been a while since I've watched a good horror film.
1: Yeah, that film. I thought it was. Um, it, it wasn't like it was um, incredibly sort of groundbreaking or fresh, but it was so solid and so. Um, it's just a good horror film. It's so so rare nowadays. You, you go and see a horror film, and it's just good. It's just a good film not like absolute yeah. trash or, or not i think not... um
3: nowadays people are forgetting that the fun that's supposed to be involved in horror like yeah. i watched a serbian film a while ago and I just uh, <laughs> oh
1: my god yeah
3: i don't know and i just thought this is just this doesn't need to be in the world there's no merit to it i haven't it's just made me feel ill and disturbed and upset and this you know this isn't Slightly what james <laughs> yeah i know it's just like yeah. this is where i was going like and I take it to a point of where hostile and sore is and I enjoy that because it's still a detachment from reality but then Serbian film and and things you know like that I'm just like they just they don't need to exist there's no merit to them they're just just horrible and I think I like the 80s and the 90s horror because there was so much fun involved and you know like Evil Dead stuff it's like you were watching it for the thrill and and you weren't you didn't want to be left feeling you know traumatised at the end of the film and you don't want to be reminded how horrible the actual world is you want to you want to face your demons through you know the fun of what horror is which is you know the escapism and the absurdity but I think lately it's you know there's too much reliance on these dark and realistic films and they're just they're just morbid Mm. have you got a favourite horror film (laughs) Um, too many to know, but like, I I love like things like Demon Night. If you ever seen that, yeah,
1: yeah,
3: it's just like it's cheesy and stuff, and Evil Dead and things like that, and you know, but, and the original Dawn of the Dead and stuff. Like, it's just you know, they're they're stupid, but those are the horror films that I love and critters and things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
2: What's um, your
3: um, take on the new It film? Yeah, that looks brilliant. I mean. Hmm. I, I do love, you know, I do like really frightening horror films as well, but um, I don't honestly expect to be expect, uh, attacked by a clown at the end of the day. So, yeah. you know, there's yeah. still that detachment from reality. But yeah, I am looking forward to that. It Looks really good.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, so, um, so so horror is like, I'm guessing your was that your, your, your first, the first choice when you started writing, or is this something? Did you sort of try a few different genres or what made you... No, I, a I always
3: wanted to write horror. Yeah. Um, and I think it's only now that I've written so many horror books that maybe I've become jaded by, you know, the genre a little bit or I've run out of ideas in that genre. They don't come quite as quick that I'd like to expand a bit. Um, but also as I've, as I've grown older, I've, you know, I've come a, a little bit away from horror and expanded my horizons a bit, probably just being married. I've taken in different types of genres that my wife may have enjoyed and led me to and um you know horror's not everything I am now um but it is it is my my first joy and I've built such a platform on horror that I can't really move away from it now because I'd be betraying all the people who've supported me to get to the point where I am mm. I have written a few thriller novels but they don't perform anywhere near as well as my horror books do
1: yeah uh so what, is that, when you first started writing like were you like a young kid, and you thought, "I want to, I want to be the next Stephen King." Or, or yeah, it's always
3: been Stephen King as the yeah. pinnacle. Um, I started with Terry Pratchett books, but then I did move on to James Herbert and Stephen King and things. Um, and I'd say I, I pretty much always wanted to be a writer. So. Um, but, yeah, Stephen King's obviously the pinnacle for where I'd like to be, but I don't need to gauge my my um, success against Stephen King. I mean, people always say, oh, you're going to be the next Stephen King, but really I'm happy to be one-tenth of where he is. You know, you don't have to be that successful, but uh, the the absolute pinnacle of where I could reach, you know, he obviously he's the guy I'd like to be. Yeah. When, um, I mean,
2: you've mentioned this already sort of briefly, yeah. but you, your, your first book, The Final Winter, um achieved mind-blowing success from from what I gather um do you want to tell us a little bit more about how it felt when that book came out and and how it felt to actually have all the sales that it did
3: I, uh, I don't know it almost felt like um serendipity I suppose because I'd, I'd walked out on a job because uh, i would had enough and I just walked out without any job to go to and things but I had this book I'd been writing as as a hobby in my spare time just about finished so I kind of threw it up on KDP out of sort of desperation because I didn't you know I didn't want to go back to having to be a salesman and um, I I just wanted my life to change so much because I was so sick of what I was doing and you know I I hadn't finished university and things and I just felt doomed to spend the rest of my life doing jobs I hated and I got quite quite distraught about it but I'd written this book and I had so much sort of naive hope on on what I could do with it and I thought about sending it off to agents and doing it all the traditional routes and um, when I, f- I came across KDP that the fact I could do it so urgently kind of it, it wasn't me acting smart; it was me acting desperate, and I threw it up just hoping for the best. And sort of six months later, it was earning me more on its own than I'd been earning in my previous job, and that was six years ago, and I haven't worked for anyone else since. So, I've been really lucky and fortunate, and everything went my way out of sheer luck. I'd like to think, you know, I wrote a good book, but I'm sure thousands of authors have written good books that have never made them a penny. So. I'm really lucky that I stumbled upon KDP at a time when I was desperate enough to you know try it at a time when nobody really knew what it was and I'm also really lucky that I got in at the point where it wasn't overloaded and so competitive so that I wrote a decent horror book and it just made money by virtue of what it was I didn't need to market it or promote it or compete with anyone else I just threw it up there and it got good reviews and that was all it needed back then and if I'd done it a year later, I don't know if I'd have managed to get the platform as solid as I did by the time things got a lot tougher. So I'm lucky that by the time things got a bit cutthroat and a lot harder, I'd already established myself enough to kind of weather the storm. Yeah. yeah. So I just put it down to luck more than anything else. I was really, really fortunate. Am um, I right in um, remembering you saying also that that book then
2: got picked up by a traditional publisher as well?
3: I had offers for it from small American publishers, um, but I wasn't willing to give it up. But I offered them my second book, Animal Kingdom, which published through them. After 18 months of poor sales with them, I brought the rights back from them, self-published it. And that, that was the last time I really dealt with an English publisher um the only publishers I deal with now are for sort of foreign foreign rights um but yeah so I was published briefly and then I, I I brought the rights back so I think that that sort of says a lot so
1: if somebody was to do the same thing now today to just just put like a a well-written um horror apocalyptic style book up, you don't think you would get the same sort of success as
3: I don't think, I mean, there's always outliers and things that make, you know, their own rules. But if you to go by sort of the typical, typical book release, I think you're not going to get instant success. But that's not what it is now. It's not the gold rush that it was. It's an industry and and you have to build a business now. When I did it, it was you know it was a bit of a lottery. I threw it up there and I was lucky, and it sold really well. That's because that, the industry's matured. It's it's less like that now. There's less less of a gold rush mentality where anyone can make it big. It's all about hard work, persistence, and and being a business person. So your first book is your first product. It's not going to set the world. A light, you couldn't release a new soft drink tomorrow and be an instant success, but you could release a soft drink and then start to slowly grow the brand awareness and then release a second flavor. And you know, you need to grow your your business as an author organically like you would any other business. So releasing a book tomorrow with no presence, it's not gonna make you rich overnight, but it's it's step one in your business and it's it's the foothold you need to then start and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process now and, and it takes time, but it's still really fulfilling and it's still really achievable. I just think new authors need to bear in mind that it's now a it's yeah. a longer road and they need to have a persistent sort of strategy and, and just keep at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of, things, a lot of what we hear nowadays is uh, the whole book a month thing, which I think, I just don't think I'm able to do. Um, <laughs>
3: but- no, I mean... I mean, my daily target, Monday to Friday, is 3,000 words. And I, I can hit that generally, consistently. A good day, I'll do five. But um, I've, you know, got kids and stuff, and I need holidays off with them. And I can't work the weekends or evenings. And i like not sure one of my colleagues writes constantly nonstop, but then he hasn't got kids and things, and his wife works a lot as well. So, you know, it fits his lifestyle, but I'd, I'd burn out. I wouldn't be able to keep that up.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's fair to say that the landscape of self-publishing has changed a lot in the last sort of six years. What are the key things that you've seen outside of um, obviously the increase in indie books online and how how do you think it's going to change in the next six years?
3: I don't know. It's frightening. And I think that's why I'm trying to diversify a little bit with other businesses and ways of making money just... Um, because that's what any smart business does in any industry. You can't always rely on you know one product. So you look at what happens. phones for you that was a previous industry i was in selling phones um they went bust overnight because um o2 and orange stopped supplying them and vodafone just decided that we're going to sell our own phones now from our own stores Some phones for you went bust overnight if they'd sold other products you know if they'd gone into televisions or something maybe they'd still be around but i think it's naive to hope that amazon's always going to do what's best when they first released kindle and limited it pretty much halved my earnings overnight, it really, really hurt me. Yeah. Um I had to weather that storm and then they changed it again a year later where it benefited me and brought my ends back up. But it showed me and it taught me then that, you know, you need to make sure you've got a stable platform. You need to be making money from audiobooks. Um Paperbacks, affiliate sales from things you're recommending, ad revenue on your website on YouTube, and you know just expand it out as much as you can so that you can take a dip in revenue here and there. Yeah. Um. But it, it's volatile, I think, and uh, you just you just need to make as much money when the the going's good, so that if you know things take a bit of a dip, you can survive a little bit. Um. So. If you are at a position where your book's selling really well, then yeah, maybe really work hard and and uh, do those evenings and stuff and get as many books out as you can because something could change tomorrow. Um, but it's up and down and you just need to prepare for that and you need to stay abreast of why it's up and why it's down so that when it does change, you're one of the guys that actually changes with it rather than... You know, complains constantly that you've been screwed because i was screwed by kindle unlimited but i wasn't one of the people going oh it's terrible amazon is screwing authors i just thought well this is how it is how am i going to survive how am i going to make money how am i going to make it up and i released a load of short stories to take advantage of the way kindle unlimited was in the early days and that helped yeah. you know you just have to do what you got to do and again it all goes down to being a business like businesses have to change constantly and being an author you're not an artist like maybe you once were where you were paid up front you know and then told you've got a year to write a book at your leisure it's it's not what it is now if you're going to go the self-publishing route you're a business person before you're an author because you could be an absolute wonderful author and you'll never sell a book if you don't do the business side right
2: yeah yeah
3: it's quite nice as well that you brought up the um the
2: short story project as well, because is that your A to Z of horror?
3: Yeah, that's basically the compendium of all the stories I wrote at the time to take advantage of the fact that Kindle Limited was just paying a flat rate based on whatever length. And that's what hurt me originally, because I'm a novelist and there was people writing all these short stories just to span the system and get loads of, you know, borrows. So I kind of had to, I couldn't beat them, so I joined them and I wrote a load of short stories, you know, to get people to keep spamming these Kindle Unlimited payments for me. And then obviously Amazon managed to come up with a better solution, which once again, you know, rewards those who are writing the longer work. So I'm happy with that. So it went bad status quo for me. But in the meantime, I had to work out of the new system operated and then exploit it along with everyone else and if it changes again tomorrow then the first thing I'll be doing is putting my you know thinking cap on thinking so how do I change and adapt with it yeah
2: Mm. yeah I think that's one of the really important things to highlight is just nothing seems more poignant really in like a lot of the interviews that I've listened to or been a part of other than literally what you just said about how you roll with the punches you you work and adapt and keep moving because that is the indie life you can't afford to let yourself get complacent because at the end of the day, anything could change at any point and then you've just got to rework it all again. So the fact that you did play along with that and come out with the books and find a way to adapt as an author. And then obviously that works in your favor. I think that's, that's massively admirable. Hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, I think that the only consistent thing any author can do is to just keep creating products, keep writing books because it doesn't matter what changes are coming. That's the one thing that will probably always be in your favor. So you know, if the going gets tough, just get your head down and write more books, write more content. The more you've got to sell, the the easier it is to make a living. So, I mean, that's that's the one constant, I suppose, through all of it. And, that, you know, that's good because that's the part of the job we all love. Um, I'd, I'd love to spend less time with the business side of things. And when the going's good, then that usually means I can write more. But times like now, it's a little bit lean. So, um, you know, I'm trying to prop myself up with other things. What,
1: what sort of other things are you diversifying into or to, to fortify um, your business? Well, I've
3: got my online self-publishing course, which yeah. there is, I, I, I've launched phase one last year and it, it covered its costs and made a, a bit of profit. I'm going to do phase two in the summer and hopefully um, make a bit more money from that. I make quite a lot of money now from affiliate um, sales, so um, linking to Amazon and getting a percentage of things that people buy, I've got sort of 20 emails in my autoresponder on my uh, mailing list, and a lot of those emails sort of send people to sign up for Audible um, subscriptions, which gets me $5 each time they sign up every time i link to one of my books it's got an affiliate link attached and things so i've got this constant stream of amazon affiliate income coming in as well um i also sort of uh, sell things like pro writing aid which is a tool i use for editing and um, i sell that to people who sign up for the newsletter on my self-publishing course and i make you know a couple hundred pounds a month from that as well just from recommending that product and successful sales of it so i do a lot of affiliate marketing as well now which the reason it's so good is it, it kind of it, it's it's very passive income once you've got it set up but I'm also I'm getting paid for things I was doing anyway so I'm not having to be a salesman or try and get extra money out of my readers I'm just instead of linking to my book as I normally would I'm linking to it and setting up an affiliate link so that if they then buy my book that I've suggested they buy but then also shove a you know a, a new Camcorder in their in their basket and buy it. I'll get a percentage of that as well. So I'm just monetizing the things I'm already doing. And I was always recommending ProWritingAid to my author friends because I use it so much. I contacted them, got you know an affiliate scheme set up. They gave me a thirty percent discount I could give out as well, which really helped my conversions. And now every time I recommend it, you know I get I get some money. And I've I've set up a YouTube um, tutorial video for ProWritingAid as well and. I've made you know about a thousand pounds from people just randomly falling on that video and buying it.
1: So, I think mean, that's something we've ever looked. I, mean, I know Dan, you mentioned it a couple of times, but I've yeah never, never really got my head around the affiliate thing. We're set up on a dashboard for it, but we just
2: haven't investigated how it all comes together yet. Yeah, um, yeah,
3: I'll give you both free accounts on the online course that I do. It's it goes all into it, so I'll get you both set up on that, and you can uh, watch the videos. That'd be really, really pretty. Sounds good. Yeah. 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 Yeah,
2: That'd be cool. Um, One of the things that um, I noticed about you when doing a little bit of digging and research is you have a very, very hungry audience. And I mean, your Twitter account, I think you've got twenty six and a half thousand followers. You've got an incredibly um, happy looking Patreon account and your mailing list. um, I've been I've been on your mailing list for about a year and a half now. um, And I'm forever reading the stuff that you come out with because it's engaging and and it's interesting. How, how important would you say it is to authors to engage, um, not just in mailing this, but on the social media side? Because I think that's something that a lot of authors tend to stumble on and, and have a bit of trouble with.
3: I suppose it depends on your personality, because if you're not very likeable, it's difficult. <laughs> um, you know, and not everybody is, especially authors. You know, if, you, if you, you haven't got an outgoing personality, there's not a lot you can do about that. Um, but I think a general rule of thumb is you just need to give more than you ask for. If you're on social media constantly asking for people to do you favours and no one's, you know, going to do you a favour. But if you're constantly on social media doing favours for others, then you'll find that those people will be doing favours for you without you even asking them to just, you know, because you've done things for them in the past. So a rule of thumb is, you know, even if you're not a very outgoing person, if you're a giving person, you know, then you'll get a lot more mileage out of the relationships you form. And this is from the guy that gives away five novels when you join his mailing list. (laughs) Well, yeah, you actually end up with seven or eight by the time you stay on the list. If you you stay on, you know, for a a full year, I give a a couple more away later on. And um, I also give a lot of free books that my author colleagues have given as well because they get exposure to my mailing list by giving a book away to my readers. And my readers keep getting free books every month from various authors for staying on the list. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I give loads of books away, but it hasn't hurt me. I, you know, I've gone from strength to strength since I set up my mailing list. And it's the main thing that's given me stability. I set it up, you know, when Kindle Unlimited hurt me and I realized Amazon – had too much control over what my readers were doing and how they were consuming my work that I had to start building my own platform. And that's when I started my mailing list. And And now I know that when my next book comes out and I release it, I'll get, you know, sort of two, 3,000 sales in three days because I've sent that email out um, of my, my book, which I'll send it straight up the charts and then it'll get loads of organic sales. And I know that because it's happened in my last four or five books. Before my mailing list, you know, I'd release a book and it was up to Amazon to push it.
1: Well, wow. Yeah, yeah. And just as an aside, um, which of your books would you recommend people starting with? You've got quite a few out there.
3: I am, um, the, the book I'm proudest of, I think, is probably The Gates, which starts the trilogy, which I'm just about to end next month with, Extinction. Um, it's, you know, it's a, a nice epic three-book see- series. It's, uh, I think it's unique, it's different, it's, you know, it's not zombies or vampires or anything like that. It's pretty unique. So I'm pretty proud of that book, and it does relate to my other books as well. So once you've read that and you then go on to read other things of mine, you'll you'll get some Easter eggs and cameos from other characters and stuff. So um, because all my books are quite standalone anyway, really, you know, it depends on the type of plot you're looking for because, You know, I've explored a lot of different things. So you've got The Housemates, which is a lot like Saw. I've got um, Asbo, which is a lot like Eden Lake. You know, it's um, very true-to-life horror. And then I've got things like The Final Winter, which is kind of a very biblical-type horror. And The Gates is very apocalyptic. And I've done zombie novels. So really, if you're a horror fan... And you think about what subgenre horror you like. Odds are, I've probably written a book specifically in that subgenre. So really, people can start anywhere in my books.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, so I mean, um, so people. Are, I mean, We've generally noticed a bit a lot of people do say there's like a general decline in the horror genre. But I'm sure I've been he- hearing that for, for years, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so do you think there's still an audience out there for, for horror, and and do you think there's a place for new writers to find success in that in that genre?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think because it's a niche genre, you're probably going to find it easier finding success in horror than you would in, you know, thrillers or romance or something that's massive and flooded. I think, Um, you know, although I love horror and I love my colleagues and stuff, I, I don't think there's a massive dearth of talent in the horror industry. So I think, you know, there's plenty of room for some really groundbreaking stuff. A lot of it's you know a little bit tired now there's a lot of zombie stuff about i mean i've I've written my own zombie stuff and you know we need some new ideas we need some new monsters and things and i think you know there's a lot lot of room for someone to to make the leap and um You know, Stephen King's not getting any younger, so yeah, absolutely, it's a thriving genre, and it always has been. And you know, but it's never been the mainstream success of romance or thrillers and stuff. It's always been a a quieter genre, but you know, that's just how it is. And and again, getting your own mailing list and things and building your own platform, you don't have to worry about what's trendy because you'll always have you know your own platform of avid fans. So. I don't really see ups and downs in the genre. I just see growth in my in my mailing list, which happens every single day. Mm.
2: What is it about the horror genre that does bring you in? I know you mentioned earlier a little bit about sort of the fun behind it, but is there anything specific that that bring that brings you the joy in the horror?
3: I think it's the most cathartic genre. I think um, I struggled a lot with sort of anxiety and depression as a teenager, which I think is what led me to to horror because you've got characters in similar situations although it's you know allegorical in that they're dealing with actual monsters rather than you know the ones inside their heads um you know the strength they're finding to to battle their their demons you know it's it, it gives gives you the strength to kind of find a little bit of inspiration and strength and i think it's very much a humanistic genre that's about you know human beings and what what we're capable of more than any other genre and i know, it can seem absurd to those who don't love the genre, but I think it's actually very, it's a very ancient genre and it's, it's very much tied to our psyche more than, you know, most other genres. And I think you can, you can really gain some sort of, some therapy from horror. I think if it's, if it's done well, you can face some things about, you know, the human soul and understand some things about yourself. And, um, I, I suppose also there's that um, feeling of just you know you watch someone on screen suffering it puts your own problems in perspective even though you know their problems of you know fighting a monster is a bit, a bit stupid you don't realise that on a subconscious level you're just equating the two things so I think when you see a person suffer you end up being empathetic and it can sometimes lift you a bit.
1: Yeah, mm. uh, you just reminded me as well. I, I read on your blog you had that post and I recommend people to go and check it out. Uh, the ten books that scare the crap out of you, or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, so definitely go check check that out. I think we're we're coming towards the end of our questions. And have you got anything else you want to ask before we do the quick fire round? Uh,
2: let's have a quick look. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to horror writers who are starting their journey today?
3: Um, <clears throat> visibility is the key, and the best way to gain visibility is with a funnel. So as soon as you can you want to give something away for free because it's always easier to find somebody uh with free than it is to charge them for something can take a risk on you so get something created that you can give away for free and then capture that email address straight away and then you can you'll then be able to see you know in a spreadsheet that you're growing as a business because you'll be able to go right i added two people on my mailing list today three people you know yesterday two people for that and you can actually see that you're growing and doing the right thing you're gaining you're gaining readers and it's there's no guesswork you're not wondering about how many people amazon is showing is showing your work to so get a funnel set up as soon as you can if you've got one book hurry up and write two so you can give book one away for free and that'll lead people onto book two and it's all about getting seen and the, the best way to get seen is is with these freebies these these sort of uh reader magnets so that's my biggest advice that's the thing that works best for me and and what I like about is it, it's scalable I'll still be giving away free books with a mailing list if I'm selling a million copies a month but if I was starting out tomorrow I'd still be doing that even if I was only selling ten books a, a month it's completely scalable so everyone should be doing that oh, fantastic
1: that's great okay uh so um the quick fire round did you know this was happening
3: <laughs> did no <you> know?
1: okay <laughs> so we've got like ten questions um uh, to throw at you very quickly and you've got like four or five seconds to call it free uh, to answer okay. um, uh, feel free to say anything feel free not to say anything uh, Those you know silence is an answer in itself <laughs> 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 okay cool Dan do you want to go first
2: yeah shoot are you ready yeah cool what's your favorite color m&m
1: red would you rather live in a world where you are constantly thirsty or constantly hungry
3: uh, constantly hungry
1: what are you most frightened of uh
3: spiders and my wife leaving me
1: Stephen King or Clyde Parker Stephen King what was the last book you read
3: uh the Malazan Empire books though it was rubbish
1: <laughs> the one the <laughs> one person you'd hate to meet
3: um Donald Trump what's your biggest hobby outside
2: of
1: writing
3: um, video games. Favorite writer? Sorry.
1: A uh, favorite writer.
3: Favorite writer.
2: Um, Blake Crouch. What was the best present you've ever received?
3: Uh, my iMac. Uh,
1: would you come back on the show in the future? I would be delighted
3: like to. Hear <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs>
1: cool. Did you read? Um, I really enjoyed Dark Matter. I read that early this year. Um,
3: I I didn't like it as much as uh. Wayward Pines um, yeah. and Eerie. <laughs> I've not read I'm Eerie.
1: Is Eerie a bit more gory, or is it a bit more...
3: No, harsh? no, it's it's a bit like that episode of Buffy where no one can leave the house. Have you ever seen that one?
1: I think I think so. It's been a long time, but uh...
3: yeah. Um, but no, I did. I did enjoy Dark Matter. It's one of the better books I've read this year. Cool. Um, I I, I do like Blake Crouch because his ideas tend to be so original. And again, what yeah. I said about Hobbits, you know, we need some new ideas. And I think Blake Crouch is. Is uh, doing well because of that, and so is you know the likes of Hugh Howie. Those those guys are the ones that came out with something original, which is why they're they're doing so well.
2: Yeah, I also quite like the idea that vampires and werewolves now are more traditionally supernatural, as opposed to the horror that they
1: came from.
3: Yeah, the yeah. fantasy
1: part of it, aren't
2: they? I
3: think they're, mm. they're so yeah, nice. I am. Um, I do. I'll, I'll probably tackle both of those at some point, but not until I have a unique spin on it. I think. Yeah. Um, it's like when I first tackled zombies I did zombies on a cruise liner with a Groundhog Day twist it was like I wasn't going to do it until I had a reason to do it
1: which book yeah, is yeah, that yeah. by the
3: way? Uh, seasick
1: seasick. Okay, which cool. is
3: one of the freebies people can get by signing up to my newsletter cool.
1: hey um, what a plug <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, where can we follow you and your work
3: um, if you just go to my main website which is um, ianrubright.com
1: cool uh, yeah, so uh, just a quick thanks to uh, intro and outro music for, uh, from Disasterpiece, ACAS for hosting the podcast, the so listeners for listening, our patrons over at patreon.com. Uh, thanks to Dan for being here um, because without you you are be alone. Uh, join us next time. Uh, we're making more noises. And um, thanks again, Ian, for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for inviting Thank me. Cheers.
3: <laughs> Cheers.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast still hungering for some podcast goodness then why not
1: check out our other show the other stories oh and did you know every time you leave us a review in the itunes
2: store a puppy is born cute eh anyway toodle pip